Welcome to dm to gm We're the podcast that helps you feel more comfortable playing games around the table. I'm your DM from Dungeons & Dragons, Russ Moore. And I'm your GM from The End of Time and Other Bothers, Sean Howard. And we've got a mailbag for you mailbag! today. So we're going to work through a ton of questions that all of you have sent in. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll tell you at the end of the episode how you can send those in to us. And we're just going to plow through them. Let's, you ready, Russ? Let's do it. Fire it at me. I don't know where All we're right. starting. Uh, Travis asks, anyone have tips for running, by anyone I assume he means us, but who I knows? Uh, anyone have tips for running large six plus player sessions? So you got a whole bunch of friends who all want to play. You're the only dungeon master, game master. They all sit down around your table. That's overwhelming because you usually only play with three or four people. How do you do that? What do you do? Yeah, so... Uh, well, first of all, it depends on what game system I'm playing, right? So I think when you're playing um, a game system that can drag in some mechanics, like, for example, if you're playing D&D and you were thinking of having a, a big battle kind of session, you're probably going to have to think about altering some mechanics for that many people. If you're going over six people, um, I find that could really drag any battle out. Um, it, it almost becomes exponential when you have too many people. So I start thinking about, you know, tricks like hanging the cards where everyone knows what order they're in. Yeah, definitely having an initiative tracker is a good way to go. Um, make sure you Simplifying. set up front. Sorry? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, make sure you set up front that when you enter combat, they're, they've got to be ready at their turn. Otherwise, you're blowing past them. So that prevents the phone scroll that everybody's worried about in larger group settings. Mostly your magic users. Mostly your yeah. magic users. So have yeah. them have it ready. Um you know, the only time it should change is if something within the game changed, like the NPC they were targeting died. Um, but then say, okay, well, I'm coming back to you. And then once they come back around, then they should be ready. I also tend to simplify uh, the initiative. So I'll do one initiative role for the creatures. Absolutely. Um, I'll do stuff like that. Just anything I do small to speed it up. Um, and I also like to check in like with the party like i not like i don't check in and ask people i'm trying to watch the table if you start noticing the phone scrolling uh what russ is talking about there is more and more your table is just like checking social they're they're checking out waiting for their turn they're not paying yeah. attention so one thing you can do is start to interject things that aren't as turn-based right so uh put in a mechanic that changes the game so, uh, literally you can do an initiative based thing, but there's also some characters that are turning a wheel. That's opening a gate with a, I don't know, dragon behind it. Something ridiculous, Tarasque, something that will decimate everyone. Right. And everyone's trying to figure out what's going on there. You've got their attention and they're arguing. The two of them are arguing over which way to turn it, uh, or something where it's just for humor, but it keeps coming up and everyone's like, wait, what happened with the turning of the thing? Um, so find the check-in is who's checking out. Um, and if too many people are checking out, you've got to find a way to speed it up. Or I don't know if you agree with this rush, rush. I called you rush. You're rush. rush the music. Um, I don't know if you agree with this one, Russ, but I will often do the, uh, if the battle is really starting to draw or drain, but it's a big battle, I will literally suddenly cut and we're in a different place. I will do a movie transition to back in time. Um, uh, and 
the whole table was like, what? And I'm like, it's a year before and you're in this bar and blah, blah, blah. And I'll start running a whole new role play thing um, where it's something related to how they were preparing for that moment. I don't know. Yeah, the flashback do, scene. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do a flashback. I'll do, I'll try and do something to, ch- to change it up and get the table engaged again. And then we can go back to the battle. Role playing moments are good um, if they split the party just make sure that you are actively same thing engaging oh, with yeah. both um, because that too can lag for half the table if they do split the party uh, if you spend yeah. too much time on one rather than the other so just setting a timer for yourself having a timer uh, for, for moments where either the party is split or combat and know that whatever you have written down on your page for combat or a trap or whatever if it feels too long, it's probably too long five minutes ago. Uh, yep. So have an out for that. Either the, the the monster runs away or the trap, whatever they do next suddenly works. Um, yep. Just keep it moving. Love that suggestion. They don't care. The table yeah. doesn't care. If they're if they're bored and you're you realize suddenly it's five minutes ago, they don't care that they suddenly got out of it magically with the thing they try. Yeah. They're just going to be so relieved that we're moving again. Yeah, everybody likes to be involved uh, and and playing actively. So yeah, the more people you have, the harder that is, but it's just a little bit more on you and then setting those boundaries at the beginning or those guidelines at the beginning that we are trying to move this as, you know, as fluidly as possible. So we can take the moments, but keep it moving. So let's talk worst case scenario in here. You've got a table of seven people and most of them are beginners. Sure. So... It's going to be a little hard to put too much pressure on everyone to move, move, move. Like yep. we, Russ and I would normally, that's what we do with our tables. We're like, okay, we're going to manage this tightly. So what I would say in that situation is you don't want a lot of battles. No, right? one maybe, but yeah, mostly role play. Um, and what I like to do in those situations is have someone else at the table designated your rules checker so that you can focus on the fun of everybody else while the guy to your left goes and checks the rules for you. Um, yeah. That way it's, it never takes you out of the game as running the game. Uh, it puts somebody else in that driver's seat to say, okay, well, I'm going to look up the rule for wind wall. And uh, it allows you to keep the action moving, keep the role play going, keep the combat moving while somebody else looks that up. Yep. And you can move that rule around, but I often find every table I've been at, there's someone that just loves being yeah. the rule look upper. Yeah, they upper, know all the pages. Upper. They know, yeah. and that's the person you want to be able to do that. Give everybody a job too. Like, if you need someone to, if you've got a lot of people, having an initiative tracker, having someone to tally treasure, having someone to keep, you can even give them uh, the job of keeping track of how much they hit your monster. So give them, put it back on them to say how much damage they've dealt. And then once they, once they reach that threshold of whatever you have written down, you haven't had to keep track. You just check in with it every now and again, say, okay, yeah, now he's looking super bad. You're getting there. Give them those flagships to say where they're going. So give everybody a job because then it keeps them doing something when they're not doing something. That's great. idea. Uh, do not give the job of the treasure tracking to the rogue. Small bit of advice there. Yeah, it'll all go to their character sheet. <laughs> Love it. Uh, those are great. Let's move on. Uh, what do we got next? Uh, ooh, this is a good one for you, Russ. Modules. How do you use them and what can you get out of them? I don't use them that much, so this is a good one for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I use uh, a lot of modules, a lot of sh- one pages, a lot of sheets like that. Um, modules give a great 
base setting. It gives you the world you're in. It gives you a strict, you know, not a strict, but a a clear goal. By the end of this module, you should be able to do this. Um, how do you use them? Read them first. Don't do what I did and not read them first. Because you know what happens? You get halfway through and that decision you made back there really fucks up every other decision that happens moving forward and you're like wow i killed off this npc that's supposed to have this really big moment right now uh i don't know what to do so read them ahead of time if you're going through one of the big like DD adventure modules they're meaty but if you're going to play through it you need to know kind of where each story beat is coming uh smaller ones easier because you can kind of skim through them and have a very rough idea of what's going on um how do you use them in a world that you've already created um, takes a little more work. Throw away what doesn't work and alter what does. Like make it fit. It's your, you just, you have the structure there though. You, the nice thing is you've got the key beats that you can tweak a little. You've got the bad guys, right? You've got the heroines. You've got sheets for everyone. Like it gives you all I, the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, ha- I don't do it, but I highly recommend people do it because I, like I'm coming up on a recording day on Saturday if technology works for us and I will be a stress basket tomorrow. I will have an hour and a half long call conversation with my co-producer on the show. I will then get up at 6 a.m. on the Saturday and plan and, and struggle. And like it literally is a day and a half of nightmare trying to create it all from scratch when you're this far deep into an ever-changing story. Yeah. So the ability to just be like, oh, I have a module. I'll read it tonight uh, over some cocoa and then I'll make some notes tomorrow and then we can run the game. Uh, Brilliant. Season one, I can't count the times when I just didn't have time to prep, but I knew I could flip to a page. I'd have three things that we needed to do that would, you know, I knew my my players could help flesh out around, you know, the main story beats. But it just gave me the guideline and said, okay, well, this is what we're doing. I just need to fill out the little bits around it. I can do that. No problem. And it's still your world. Like yeah. even if you've got it, your own made world, you alter it. No one knows. No one like it's no one has to know what you're pulling from where. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, most people who are playing through a module aren't gonna read it ahead of time. And in fact, I would encourage them not to read ahead of time because then they they know. Um right. But they don't know if you change chapter five to chapter seven or just take out a chapter because you're just like, yeah, this is no fun. Nobody wants to spend time at council meetings. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing pertinent there. But you can also have a homebrew world where you're pulling in a one shot as a structure to help you because it's like, oh, this would be fun. Right? Because either way, you're going to do that. I don't know why I make it so hard on myself. Like I ended up doing a whole thing that was the A-team. I didn't come up with the A-team. I stole it. But (laughs) but I didn't have any sheets to pull from. I had to make it up. It was painful. Steal, 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 steal. steal. Make it easy on yourself. Absolutely. Kathy asks, any tips on making a good playlist with sound effects during the game? Yes. It's a service. The the main one that is is pushed uh, by D&D and pushed by a few other big ones is called Sirenscape. Um, they have a few free soundboards that you can that you can get when you sign up for an account, um, and then the rest is paid. Um, there is one called TabletopAudio.com uh, that has a whole bunch of different uh, soundscapes and that sort of thing, but they're all soundboards. Uh, so have your laptop up at the table, 
um, queue up a few. If you know you're going to a desert or you know there's going to be um, a big ogre battle, like Sirenscape's really good because they work with D&D to get like specific sounds. Like they try really hard to do that. Um, but use a pre-built soundboard. Um, as for creating one, I'm not the best person on that. Uh, but find a service, tabletopaudio.com, Sirenscape. I'm sure there are a few others that you can just type in fantasy soundboard. It'll give you music. It'll give you like the forest ambience. It'll give you your your hits, your sword hits, all that sort of stuff. Use those. Um, and then whether you want, and then have fun, whether you want to run them or again, delegate it to somebody else at the table, be like, okay, this is what we have set up. Go for it. Um, and if you find yourself getting overwhelmed and it's not working, giving out some of the table, then just drop it and yeah. come back, um, come back and try it a different day. There, there's a uh, lot of people who build like iTunes playlists of just like epic Lord of the Rings, Hobbit type sounds that are just generic. Like they're, you know, sweeping and they, you can just have a lot of those and it just sets the mood, sets the atmosphere. Um, but yeah, try a soundboard and check in with your table. So I was playing a game where the GM was using sound a lot to set moods and changes. And at one point he checked in with everyone and says, hey, how, how's it going? Because he was changing up how, how much he was doing a lot more sounds. Yeah. And our feedback was we didn't enjoy it. It yeah. was taking too much time for him to find the sound, get the right one going. And so he just went back to doing what he was doing before where it was big battles and things. He would have a playlist where he would hit play, which was fun, yeah. right? To have survivor play while you're fighting a dragon yeah whatever it is you choose make it yeah like sean said make it easy and if it detracts from the gameplay drop it um but if it if it's involved and everybody likes it go for it have more fun or have fun um, not more fun just have fun with it uh when uh, our next question comes from uh, our discord as well uh, dr booze they ask when first starting to explore Different platforms, examples they give are D&D, Palladium Fantasy, everything else. They say, what are the top three things you look out for for playability? A manual that's not 750 pages. Uh, sure. The table, uh, the familiarity with the table, with the system, uh, just so we know. And basically fit. Like, when when someone's making a game, there you know, it still amazes me that there was somebody playing early D and D that was like, these rules are not complicated and perfect enough, and we're not spending enough time on them. So they created Pathfinder. Yeah, right. So there, but that's okay. There are people who want that's a certain type, type of, of play, game. Yeah, yeah, a certain kind of play, and so. Uh, understanding the table and what you guys enjoy. Are you big role players? Are you uh, really into one system like D&D? Um, and then I recommend looking for stepping stones. Let's say you've been playing D&D for a long time like I was, but you're like, hey, I want to role play more. Are there any systems out there? So I went to probably the most complicated uh, powered by the apocalypse system in the world because it was familiar. It was basically D&D applied to that framework. Um, and so it, it it just seemed like a fun, easy stepping stone into Powered by the Apocalypse. I'm talking about Dungeon World. Um, and now, of course, I've gone further down that path. So those are some things I think of. I don't know if you have any input there um, for us. Yeah, no, I think I look for the same thing. So if we're going top three things, it's, um, you know, setting, 
Settings one of them, so high fantasy versus like, future tech versus you know real world, um, is you know the size of the book. So how rules heavy it is. So is it D and D? Is it Pathfinder? Is it Palladium? Is it powered by the apocalypse? Is it a one pager? And then um, yeah, you know the, that familiarity with the table. Um, if ninety percent of you are familiar with D and D, chances are good one of you is going to be learning how to play D and D. And that's okay, because everybody else around the table already knows how to play it, and they will help you play it. But if everybody just kind of is a mix mash, find the easiest one just to start playing, and try that one out, and then work your way into other ones if you feel comfortable doing it. And someone please write in and explain probabilities to Russ at some point. Okay. What? Uh, half a person, I think. Unless you have a play, unless you have a ten people oh, playing. Yeah, class. no, that's oh. what I see. What you're saying. <laughs> Look, I took applied math. I counted M and M's up until grade twelve. It's fine. It's fine. You're good. And you know, hey, D and D is applied math. It is. It is. Uh, Rachel asks, if you're not sure you're interested in continuing a campaign, how do you let your players down easy? Um, basically, the the Rachel goes on to sort of talk about how. You know, they're feeling sort of overloaded um, and basically not sure if they want to continue. Russ, we were talking about this and you had a, sorry, I'll just start, but you had started down this path already of, well, maybe it's not fun for your players right now. It might be good to check in with them too, which I thought was great. Yeah. And it's one of my go-tos for a while now, since I started doing it, is to talk to your play group. If you're having trouble with it, if you're not having fun with it, it's going to show in your gameplay, and there and your players are going to start to notice. Um, I did, you know, this is one of the questions that I jumped on in Discord because it's more of an urgent one. It sounds like um, that they're dealing with. Uh, so have that conversation, and it could go one of many ways. But the two that I pointed out are maybe they're not having fun. Um, and it's okay to take a break. Maybe somebody else around the table wants to be the DM or GM and take that from you for a little while, run with what you're doing or try something entirely different in another setting, uh, in another system and go try it. Um, or they see that you're having trouble or, you know, you acknowledge that you're having trouble brainstorm with them. Maybe you're just stuck. You're, you get writer's block when you play Dungeon Master for so long and you live in a silo. For so long with Dungeons and with this table, I lived in a silo and didn't talk to anybody. And then I started meeting other DMs and GMs and started bouncing ideas off of each other and knew that it was okay to tell people outside of the game, even your players, tell them certain details, not the big twist that you want at the end, but tell them certain details that you're thinking and see if they have any input because a player loves nothing more than seeing one of their ideas come off of the page that they came up with in world. It grounds them so hard and they feel so excited uh, when they can contribute to the world in, in a not direct character gameplay. So depending on your situation, ask them if somebody's wanting to trade for a while so that you can sit back and not have to plan everything or brainstorm and get some new ideas in from either the group you have or, you know, hop into a discord and see if you can't bounce ideas off of anybody else. And it's okay. It's okay if you need to take a break and it's okay if you're just not feeling it. Um, you know, this is about playing games and it can be, a, sometimes we can also let it build up too much. The pressure right, of being the GM can be a lot. Yeah. 
because you've got that date on the calendar that you're always working towards. Yeah. So it's okay if you need a break. Uh, next question. Kathy asks, when you start a new campaign with your players who are more experienced and newbies, do you think it's okay to restrict races and class choices uh, to the player's handbook? Again, uh, yes. Going back to D&D, Pathfinder, those sorts of games, uh, Palladium as well. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. Um, it helps... Uh, it helps the experienced players know exactly what they're getting into. And as long as you have an, a welcoming table, I don't think you're going to have an experienced player walking into a newbie table. I hope not anyways, that will say, but I really want to play this other one from this other book over here. It's like, just start with what you got. Start with your orcs, your, or your, your dwarves, your elves, and your humans. Ooh, your orcs. You're not helping, Kathy. Start with your dwarves, your elves, your humans. And that's all you've got. Um, even keep it to those three. Like those are the main three for most fantasy books. Um, it will help the experienced players know how to help the newbies and it will help the newbies learn the one book that they were able to purchase in order to sit down and play this game. Some of the most fun I've ever had playing, well, creativity comes through constraint. Yep. So I've never had a problem with a when I'm joining a game and they're like, hey, we're doing just strict these races. Like, I'm like, cool. Yeah. That's going to be fun to see how far I can take that. That's where Gru came from. Okay. I didn't restrict you. Uh, I said, do whatever the hell you want. I had to put the restrictions because you wouldn't. I was like, I'm going to play a straight up. Yeah. Uh, Kathy asks, what would you do if you have a player in a campaign who is all about min-maxing and takes away the fun for you, the GM, but not the other players? Oh, and if you... There's a situation Kathy's talking about. We've all been there, um, where if that person stops playing, you lose their wife, uh, so probably too. Their partners, yeah. yeah. Um, um, that's a tough one. So, <sighs> I feel like okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Russ will be the more selfless, and I'm gonna be the more selfish GM. Sure. I'm gonna be like, well, if I'm not having fun, no, forget it. We're gonna have a conversation. Yeah. We're gonna find a way. Um, I don't know. How do you feel, Russ? So, what if I'm not having fun? <sighs> I mean, aside from killing off the character. <laughs> no, that's what I would do. That's what you would do. No, yeah. what, what could you do is you could implement things that stress that character. <laughs> Make it hard for them to be min-maxed. So if they're super into strength and all that sort of stuff, throw a puzzle at them. A maze. Throw them into a maze. Throw them into something where that doesn't work for that character and see what happens. Yeah, I would take away all battle, Kathy, for that character. I would literally have a series of events where before every battle, something they happens. They're in the bathroom. Get separated. They in the bathroom. They fall down a pit, um, and they're going to spend the whole time trying to get out while the ba- party battles. Yeah. Make it um, exciting for them too. Yeah. But make it exciting in a just different way that's not what they're used to or what they're trying to just buff their character to be good at. Um, and pose these different encounters. And if they confront you about it, if you've already talked to them about it, then you know they should see this coming. Um, but first off, talk to them. If you haven't done that, uh, talk to them. Uh, second off, they should see it coming if they've continued and have refused in some way. Um, and then pose these other things that their character is not good at. So it will take them a long time to kind of work their way through until they realize that maybe they should be building a well-rounded character, like raising a child. 
And another thing to think about, Kathy, um, in all seriousness now, is what's bothering you? And there's a journey we go through as DMs and GMs, and we've talked about this, Russ and I, on this show, where we start often, a lot of beginning DMs and GMs start with sort of demanding that the story go a certain way and fighting for it. Railroading, and, yeah. Railroading, but they're not trying to railroad. Yeah. They're just trying to make this go correct. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that to you, Kathy, um, but I'm saying like there's a journey we go on to then realizing, oh, as a GM, um, my job is to um, help the table sort of like uh, have fun. It's like an engine. Like my job is to keep that engine firing, take them take them into dark and scary and then ramp them right up and back into funny and and sort of my job is to help them shine and it can be super fun when that engine is running yeah so i guess the question is is there an opportunity for you to say what's bothering me here and how could i how could i actually support this player in a way that creates even more fun for the table and maybe that would be less irritating what they're doing i don't know or you just kill them or just kill them Yep. Or just kill. But yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. Why is it why is it a bother? Um I mean I've played with min maxed players. It makes it it makes it difficult for planning certain scenarios because you're trying to make it so much harder, but if you make it so much harder for that character, it kills all your other kill players. Kill the rest of the party. Yeah. Um so give them that moment to be able to, you know, one shot the big bad. But then give them other moments to shine elsewhere and give everybody else moments to shine, you know, like Sean said, make sure everybody's having fun and figure out what about it bothers you. I once gave uh, Min Maxer a cursed ring of inversion. I had some other name for it. And so the basic idea is that on any role, there was a 50% chance that it would swap that stat and the lowest, like the opposite stat. That's awesome. On their sheet. So um, I forget the exact mechanic. It drove them insane, but it was so much fun and it became a fun thing for the party. Well, because, yeah, they, they, they're they so buff. They go to the gym all the time, but now they have to use their intelligence. But it's the, the brain is the size of a peanut. Yeah, it's it's a two. Yeah. <laughs> App203 asks, how do you confront a player who is backseat DMing? Oh, I hate this. Um, recently played a one shot and I'm still fairly new to playing. Oh, so this was as a player. Yes. Um, and the DM was very chill about it, but it was very annoying, um, as a player. So basically what app 203 was seeing is, uh, someone around the table would ask a question and this other player would jump in to answer it really quickly before the GM could answer or the DM in this case. Yeah. I mean, the more comfortable you get with a, with a game set, I'm not saying everybody does this, but some people tend to be the rules lawyer around the table. Um, yeah. I would have a conversation with the DM, see if it's something that, I mean, if you're noticing that the DM is trying to answer, but then this other person's jumping up, they probably don't have a, like a written like thing where they said, you know, this person answers all my questions so I can just focus on other things. Cause that could be something too, is that the DM has asked them to answer all of the questions. Yeah. And I think it all comes down to whether these are rule questions. So let's say, um, let's say app two or three is saying, Oh, they were at the table and someone's like, oh, well, how does this spell work? Then I think Russ and I are probably on the same page. It would make no big deal that someone else answers yeah. that. But 
But I think, I don't know, I've been at tables. I think you probably have two rests where, you know, at a convention or whatever, and someone asks a question that should be answered about in-character knowledge, sure. and someone else starts answering constantly. That would drive me that, insane. That would be insane. So, uh, And that's the DM's job, I think, in that case, to step in and be like, hey, Roger, I really appreciate that you have a point of view here, but this is, I really need to answer these. Um, so... You as a player, if you were the DM, I would say talk to that player. If you are the player who's having a problem with another player, if you can't or you don't feel comfortable directly talking to that person, go talk to the DM and say, look, this isn't fun for me when so-and-so does this. I'm trying to figure out, you know, in-character knowledge or game mechanics or however, but I'd like it to come from you so that it, you know, reflects your game table. Um, then they, hopefully they can have that conversation and maybe that'll just put the ice on the other person for a little while. But I mean, talk to people, man, always talk to people. It's tough. And it can be hard it's to hard. have that conversation. So do it as Russ gave the example, always start by saying it's, 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 it, Talk from your own personal point of view. Like th- when when this happens at the table, it it makes it less fun for me, or I'm having less fun always, when this happens. Always at the table. use I feel statements. It's one of the biggest things in any sort of human resources complaint department. People can't disagree with I feel statements. I feel uncomfortable. I feel mm, a little bit weird when you give me the answer back. You know, they can't disagree with you because they don't know how you feel. Um, so. Position it that way, and then there's not an argument. You don't just throw it back and then be like, I'm not talking to you, talk to the other person. But try and have that open dialogue and just say, This part isn't doesn't feel fun for me. Like, could I could we try something different? Stan Sitzman asks, uh Okay, so I think Stan is asking about our tables. I realize you guys are all close friends, but things have to get strains at strained at times. Uh, let's say the player dice are ice cold and the DMGM dice are red hot. How do you deal with animosity, hurt feelings? Uh, oh, I love this. As my mom always said, it's all fun and games until your cornflakes get peed in. That's a good saying. Uh, and then they say, does it affect you personally? Uh, I don't know about your table. I've had talks after games. <laughs> So when you play with your significant other, yeah, uh, sometimes decisions are made. Um, personally, I've never had a problem if you know my dice are hot and their dice are cold. I've never had them come back and be like, "Well, shit, you must be cheating." I've never had that moment come up. It's always the the decisions that a DM has to make in the moment, whether you don't have the right thing decided or you make the poor decision and it just, it rubs that person the wrong way. The dragon you were trying to attack was 31 feet away oh, from where so you were Oh, so many standing, times. Amy. Math worked for me in that moment though, <laughs> didn't it? Oh, sometimes I feel really good about it. Um, but yes, I, it, there've been feelings hurt uh, yep. around our table. Um, but that said, we are all close friends and we're all, I don't want to say it, but we're all adult enough to have a conversation about it. If something doesn't feel good, I've had conversations with both with all Tom, Carla and Amy after games when things didn't go exactly as they I I could see that they had hoped. Um, And then you can take that moment to depending on what it is, either fix it or just talk about it and be like, look, this happened to your character in the story. 
let's figure out a way that they can move past it. And hopefully, so that's it. I guess personally hasn't lasted for very long with me. How about your table, Sean? <laughs> We've gotten into it in a weird place. Um, we don't really roll dice much. And when we do, the the, the worse the outcome, the better. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So basically I have a table that is doing comedy improv like you would see on stage. So it's all offer based. Everyone's listening and it's yes anding, but also, you know, no budding. And there's all this stuff going on. And one of the rules of comedy improv is to, to accept an offer. You don't block. Blocking is a death. It kills the scene. Um, so one of the challenges sometimes that we've run into is where the comedy improv starts to brush up against the role-playing rule set, but not the rules, more the mechanism of how a GM operates. So I'm a pretty lax GM in that um, my players become NPCs, uh, things turn on a dime and go to places I don't expect. But there are parts of the overall storyline that I have been planning or having to, you know, plot and figure out. And there was an instance where someone was, had an idea, made an offer, and then kept making it and kept making it and kept, and I think their feelings got hurt because they were just like, I was blocking. Why isn't, why aren't you taking this? Yeah. Why aren't you taking this offer? Um, and uh, and I wasn't giving a good no, but you know what I mean? I wasn't giving them information to keep the scene going. I was just not accepting it. And so that did create. So there ha- we have had to talk about it. Um, and I, and I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not 100% healed over. Like, I think it's just become like a because that's an example where we're sort of operating into two worlds and we're not. We're not always being clear about why. Which one you're in 100% of the time. Yes. Yeah. We're not clear. And so that that has created some tension for our table. So it doesn't matter how close of friends you are. If you're married, if you're not, you know, if you're significant others with somebody and you play these type of games with people, sometimes you're going to run into, just like in real life, you're going to run into something that you don't agree with or that you don't like. Um, depending on what severity that is, there are safety mechanics you can build into the game to help shut some of those down right away. Um, yeah. But as long as you have an open dialogue, you can usually resolve most of those. It might take time. Um, you know, as Sean said, his might even still be ongoing. Um, but, you know, I, I've turned off the microphone after and then gotten an earful for several hours based on a decision. But usually by the next couple game sessions, we've moved past it. And then it's just a joke that kind of keeps coming up that, you know, uh, Russ threw this in here and didn't give me anything. Uh, He's going to do it again. It's sort of guaranteed to happen. We're, we're, you know, we're playing a game where we start by just playing rules and sort of nerdy and everyone's rolling dice and figuring out the puzzles. And then we're asking everyone, like we talked about in the last episode, to start to play their character, yeah. to be their character, to role play. So they get attached. You know, uh, Russ and I have both caused people to cry. Yeah. Um like I've caused people to cry on Russ's show. Like bowling. Um, like we've had to yeah. like take a minute and just recollect ourselves because of whatever happened in the show. 
It hurts. Yeah. Like I like I feel it sometimes when something happens to an NPC I've been playing for a really long time. Um we become attached and so suddenly the game can get really personal and intense, way more intense than we expect. Yeah. So I agree. Um but I think it's also important as a GM to recognize it cuz we can forget. Sometimes we have to be like, "Oh yeah." this is really real for this person right now. Yeah. Well, because you're, you're pushing the next plot point where, you know, you and I are pushing the next plot point. Whereas that player has worked for months, maybe to try and get to that plot point, And then something yeah. goes sour or their character dies, or it's not quite what they thought it was going to be. And it rubs them the wrong way. And now they have this angst or animosity towards you because you're the person who said that. So I think you have to take time. You have to be like, okay, let's take a pause. I understand this is hard. And talk about it. And no, yeah, like, and, and let them process the feelings too. You know, it's half joke, half reality that every DMGM is a part time psychologist or therapist for their friends. Um, <laughs> so true. It, because because when you're taking on this character, you're you are as much as you try and be somebody else, you're putting a lot of yourself into this character. Um, and a lot of times things that we don't think about in our regular day to day life boil up inside these characters that you now have to work through in this fantasy setting that you're creating. So it is a form of therapy and, you know, a lot of, a lot of ways that people deal with trauma and, and certain life situations and that sort of thing is to role play through their situation or the other person's situation in order to kind of come to a solution to it. So you, you probably will come into situations where you run into those moments where people don't want to talk to each other for a while. And to be clear, we're saying it is therapeutic, but you are not licensed. We're not licensed as therapists. I know, but we're just saying like, so you may also as a GM find yourself suddenly in a situation where you're just like, what is happening? I don't know what to do here. And just remember your friends and you're playing a game and you can all just take a break. You're adults, process it um, and sleep on the sofa. Um, Maybe if you need to (laughs) talk about (laughs) it. And then, right. Yeah, and talk about it. As long and again, as long as everybody's having fun, or it, not even that they're having fun, but enjoying the moment for what it is. If they're not enjoying the moment for what it is, then it needs a conversation. If you go through a hard moment that for a character, for a GM, it is totally okay to be okay with a bad moment after it stops, but have that conversation about it. As the GM, it's easy for you to. As a player, it's easy for me to be like, well, that was the GM's mood, but I'm kind of pissed off about it, but I'm not going to say anything because it was their you know, moment that they were had planned, whatever it was. But having those touchbacks at the end of every game be like, so big things happened. What do we want to talk about? Anything? Are you pissed off at me? I know your character died. Your, this thing happened. Have those, have those times every session or two where you can touch in and just say, everybody's still good. So... On that note, remember to have fun. And if things get really serious or people get hurt, um, there also are ups. There's ups and downs in this game. We're telling a story, right? And the another thing is to realize if people are really feeling it, then you just leveled up as a DM or GM. If you can have your table feel this, that real, so invested in the story that you're all collectively telling, you're all doing a great job. 
So if you have any other questions or if you need anything expanded on, uh, come join us in the Discord. Send us an email, dm to gmcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook and Twitter. Links are all in the description. And get out there and play more games and have fun. And don't try, try not to be mad at everybody. But if you do, talk about it. Everybody. Conversations. That's all we're doing. We're talking and playing. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Sign. That's a geometric waveform or arc that rises and falls. And a new Canadian TTRPG and podcast inspired by that almost soothing mathematical motion. Let me show you. The action begins to rise as powerful strangers in a ruined yet vibrant world band together. If you run north, they will chase you. I suggest you stand behind me. Partner, I'd rather stand beside you if you're willing to help. Tension continues to mount higher as our characters must push themselves beyond their usual limits. As I'm climbing into the into the driver's seat, I'm going to say to Sarah, sometimes you got to make tough decisions. I'm driving now. And it peaks as a danger and excitement hits its zenith, leading to great failure or success. Fenriel would be just fire at this point. She straight up might die. Like, this encounter might murder you. You know what? You lit me on fire. We're gonna be on fire, baby. And this tension relaxes. The tragedy, but more often humor, that comes with great pals being around a virtual table playing a game. Discover Sign on your favorite podcast player. S-I-N-E. The choices of the characters are theirs to make, but the fate of the world is up to the dice.